Firing Back is brought to you in part by Wilson Combat, the leading innovator in high-performance custom 1911s, AR-15 rifles, scatter guns, and accessories. Check them out at wilsoncombat.com. You are listening to Firing Back, a Gun Owners of America podcast. Thank you for listening to Firing Back, the podcast that is keeping you armed for the challenges ahead. I'm your host, Eric Pratt, Executive Director of Gun Owners of America, and I'm here with my co-host, Remzo Martinez. Remzo, today we're going to be talking about someone who is bulletproof. I want to thank you for joining me today. Eric, I don't necessarily know how 50 Cent the Rapper has anything to do with what we're talking about, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Folks, go ahead. Before we start, do me a quick favor. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Talk about how much you love us. If you hate us, don't write a review. <laughs> but, uh, you know, definitely go check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. But uh, back to it. So, Eric, I, I take it by the title of today's episode, we're going to go ahead and talk about some gun owners who have, you know, portrayed some great acts of courage. Am I correct? Absolutely. But to set this up, got a quick story. I was watching some TV with my family the other night, and I learned about the incredible story of Violet Jessup. Now, does that name ring a bell to you? That that was the club in Tuscaloosa my friends and I used to go to raves at when I was going to school in Alabama. I'm, I'm pretty aware of that place. Yeah, Remzo, you are nowhere close. Uh, uh, actually, okay. it's a person's name. <laughs> okay, we'll go off that then. But I'm sure you know about this woman, at least indirectly, because she's known as Miss Unsinkable because she survived several shipwrecks, one of them being a very famous one. Ah, oh, wait, that's what that movie Unbreakable with Bruce Willis was about. Wrong again. <laughs> uh, I'm, I have no clue. Anyway. Uh, Titanic, Titanic. There you that go. Was it. There you go. Uh, so the gun owner that we're going to be talking about in just a moment has turned out to be just as unsinkable, or you might say bulletproof, as was uh, this gal, Violet oh, Jessup. Oh, so not 50 Cent. Gotcha. That's right. So back to Violet. She survived the most famous shipwreck of the 20th century, and yet, ironically, it wasn't even the worst catastrophe she survived. She was on board another ship right after World War I when it struck an underwater mine that had been placed there by the Germans. As the ship was struggling to stay afloat, she actually made it to a lifeboat, but the ship propellers sucked her back under the water, and she struck her head on the keel. That, that was not the Lusitania, right? Uh, no, no, it was okay. not. So, so either way, I, I, I take it that that was not her final voyage, or was it her final voyage? Actually, it was not. Uh, she was injured, uh, but she survived, and then she went back to work on another steamliner. I mean, it's a crazy story. She even survived for several decades, actually dying rather peacefully in 1971. That, that's incredible. I mean, talk about lightning striking twice. I mean, it's one thing to be in one shipwrecked, you know, the Titanic of all things, but then to be in another, that's that's some bad luck. Like, the ocean hates that woman or something. <laughs> exactly. And that's why I bring up Violet's story, because when I heard it, it reminded me of this gun-owning friend of mine who's lived to survive two very awful criminal assaults. I mean, most people never experience one attack in their lifetime, but he's lived through two and survived them both. So he's not just unsinkable, but he's also bulletproof. Yes. And really, while both attacks were bad, 
one of them was beyond criminal. It was a terrorist attack that was absolutely horrific. Well, that just escalated quickly. It did, yeah. And, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that the first incident he survived was probably the most perilous situation that I've ever heard of, at least for a non-government official whom I personally know. And then he survived a second criminal attack almost 15 years later. And in both situations, he emerged the hero. And I'm guessing because we're talking about this on this show, of course, that, you know, he did that because he had a gun. You got it, buddy. And thank God he had a gun, because in all candor, Charles probably would have been without a weapon had it not been for a gentleman that GOA members are very familiar with. So this is a story of how one person's influence can have a dramatic impact on the lives of others. But it's also a reminder of what an impact each of us can have when we learn important truths and then share those ideas with others. Exactly. And I mean, Eric, that's what this podcast does. To get a little sentimental, folks, I mean, just bear with me. That's why I'm so glad that our friends at Wilson Combat Arms help keep gun owners of America on the front lines. I mean, speaking of Wilson Combat, let me just tell you, uh, you know, a quick minute about them. You see, their 1911s are built to be the very best. With 40 years of hard-earned competition and gunsmithing experience, Wilson Combat is the undisputed industry leader in high-performance 1911 handguns. I mean, using all in-house produced bulletproof machine parts and the unmatched skill of their experienced gunsmiths and engineers, every Wilson Combat Custom 1911 is built to order and thoroughly tested before it leaves the shop. After the sale, Wilson Combat has the best customer service policy in the industry. Go learn more at wilsoncombat.com. That's W-I-L-S-O-N combat.com. Now, back to what we were really talking about. Eric, you were telling me that um, there's this gun-owning friend of yours who is in every sense of the word. I mean, he's every sense of the word bulletproof. I mean, is that is that just an exaggeration or is that right? No, he's truly lived a remarkable life and uh, has impacted a lot of people. And for that reason, I've actually got to tell you, I almost called this episode It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that movie, right? It's not Christmas at my house without George Bailey coming on the screen. Absolutely. I mean, I love this movie. Uh, of course, it has the unforgettable, what you were just mentioning, Jimmy Stewart, who stars as George Bailey. And for those who know the storyline, George Bailey is a man with big dreams, but then when his life falls apart... He considers suicide, and you know you know how it goes. There's that classic scene where he's standing on the bridge, getting ready to jump. However, he's given a tremendous gift. I mean, you're not kidding. For those of you that remember the film, you remember the, the for the friendly angel named Clarence. He's sent to Earth, and what he does is he takes George and he shows him what life would have been like if he'd never been born. I think we've all said that during a time of frustration or we, when we've been down. I've I've never been born, so this happens to George. And, um, well, Eric, you, you keep going with this one. This well, is going to get interesting. Well, Clarence does his job. I yeah. mean, through it all, George discovers that he's lived a wonderful life after all. Because of his life, his brother didn't drown when they were kids. A pharmacist didn't accidentally add poison to a child's prescription. His wife, Mary, didn't end up an old maid. And most importantly, Bedford Falls doesn't become... You know, like RoboCop's Detroit, the town of Pottersville, named after the evil banker Henry Potter. <laughs> exactly right. So, you know, for all those reasons, George Bailey sees why he's lived a wonderful life as he had affected so many people in, a po in, in positive ways. And so this episode is about 
two real-life George Baileys, two gun owners who have helped save the lives of hundreds of people, or I guess I could put it, if I'm going to be more precise, one gun owner who saved hundreds of lives, but not without the help of another real-life George Bailey in his own life. So who are these two? Well, the first one is my friend Charles Von Vick. I mean, there are many people who are alive today because of him, and that's why I call him a real modern-day George Bailey. So when, when was his first brush with terror? Well, that was in 1993. He was at a church service in Cape Town, South Africa. It's actually Oh, that was an interesting time down there. It really was. That's right. A very turbulent time. And uh, this was a big church, about a thousand people in the congregation. And uh, he was enjoying a, a singing duet at the beginning of the Sunday night service. And that's when the terror attack began. Charles says it actually took a few moments for him to realize what was happening. At first, when he heard the loud noises, he just thought, you know, oh, the, the church is putting on a play this evening. Well, it wasn't until he saw chunks of wood splintering out from the pews that he realized what was happening. Grenades were exploding everywhere. Pews were shattering. Bullets were flying. People were diving under the pews and grasping for whatever cover they could. The St. James Church was under attack by guerrillas with automatic weapons. At this point, my friend Charles sprung into action. He pulled out his 38 snubby from his ankle holster and from a kneeling position fired off a couple rounds at the attackers. And he thought it was without effect, but he actually found out later that he actually hit one of the terrorists. Anyway, regardless, Charles decided he needed a more strategic position, so he sprinted to the back door where he exited the church and rounded the corner of the building. And that's where he came on the armed thugs from behind, and he fired off his final three rounds as the attackers jumped into their getaway car and sped away. Now, here's what's interesting. Had he exited the building from a different door, he would have encountered an ambush by the terrorists who were then waiting for him to come after them. Thankfully, though, my bulletproof friend didn't suffer any harm. So he calls on a neighbor to phone the police. Charles goes back inside the church, and, you know, there Charles says that what he saw looked like a war zone. Dust, smoke, the smell of sulfur filling the air, pews had been blown apart, bodies were strewn all around the room. Sadly, 11 lives were taken and dozens more were injured. But the congregants were safe now, and it was because of Charles' heroic actions. He chased away the aggressors and saved the lives of hundreds of people. In fact, police later credited Charles with being the one that halted the attack and saving countless lives. Not to, you know, make light of a terrible situation, but this sounds more like Die Hard instead of It's a Wonderful Life. (laughs) I mean, it's incredible, though. It is. And, you know, the irony is that Charles did not actually always carry a gun. Even though he had spent time in the South African army, he was not convinced that it was necessarily right for him to carry a gun as a civilian. He's a missionary now, and he thought, well, you know, protecting the nation is one thing, but it's quite another to walk around carrying a firearm all the time. But by the time the attack on the church occurred, his transformation was already complete. Not only was he carrying a gun every day, he actually says, I would have felt undressed without it. So where was the like decision point that kind of changed his mind before all that happened? Well, here's the deal. 
there was a George Bailey in his life who impacted him in a tremendous way. So one George Bailey-like person had a profound effect on yet another real-life George Bailey. You know, speaking of George Bailey, because this is all going to make sense. Folks, George was an ordinary guy. Uh, couldn't serve in the military, but he served at home while his friends were deployed. Um, was not the you know the owner of the best-run bank in town, but when people needed their money, he tried to make sure everyone got it when the Great Depression and the bank bust was coming around. George was an ordinary person, and what Clarence the Angel shows him is that George, through just little things, through just being there, being himself, was able to make a dramatic impact on not just a few lives, but an entire community. When I think of people who are like George Bailey, especially when it comes to the stuff we're talking about, I, I can't think of anyone better than the folks who are part of GOA, the regular GOA members that are making donations, the regular GOA members that are bringing stuff to our attention, the regular GOA owners that think, I did not have an impact, but wait, I'm going to go ahead and do one thing. And next thing you know, you have a cataclysm of progress. You're protecting the rights of your friends, your neighbors, your family, and yourself to protect your life, liberty, and property. It's protecting the right to life. It's protecting those around you. It's helping people like George Bailey did. And if you want to go ahead and see how one person can make an impact, I can't think of any organization better than Gun Owners of America. So be your own hero in your own story. Be that George Bailey that makes an impact. And check out the memberships offered at gunowners.org. So, Eric, from what you were telling me, Charles is a real-life George Bailey. I mean, he's responsible for saving several people's lives yeah. and his credit was saving hundreds of people's lives at the church in Cape Town. But you mentioned that lightning struck again for him. So, you know, going yeah. from like, uh, it's a wonderful life to die hard. Obviously a sequel <laughs> had to happen. Yeah. As unreal as that situation was in 1993, misfortune for him struck again, almost 15 years later. Uh, this time Charles was at a Christian conference and he was heading into town for a radio show and while he was en route, he stopped along the road to drop somebody off, and he was getting ready to unload some goods out of their vehicle. Well, he was behind the pickup truck when two armed thugs surprise him and, and demand his wallet, cell phone, and passport. Now, he complied with their request, but then they started searching him to find out if he had a gun. Thankfully, they missed it. They, they didn't see that he had one. So they turned their attention to, to Charles' elderly passenger and started threatening his life. That's when Charles unholstered his gun and started firing. Well, that sent these two creeps flying. But what Charles didn't realize was that there was a third assailant, a sniper, who was off in the distance. And as soon as his two partners in crime started running, that third guy started shooting. So now bullets start flying all around them. So Charles jumps back into the pickup, drives off, thankfully, completely unharmed. Maybe instead of calling Charles George Bailey, we should call Charles Charles Bronson at this point, because this is getting crazy. I mean, here's a private citizen, a missionary, no less, who used his weapon twice to stop violent criminal attackers. I mean, Eric, this is a movie in the making. Lifetime <laughs> might not want it because it has to do with promoting guns, but, you know, someone out there, I mean, we, we got to get There's this gotta guy. There's got to be we somebody. We got to get this guy, yeah. Spielberg or somebody. That's right. That's right. So anyway, there's this other, though, um, George Bailey that was in Charles' life who had a dramatic impact on him. 
And that would be none other than the man who was recognized by Newsmax as the number two most influential man in America, uh, labeled that for defending the Second Amendment. Uh, This is the same man who was heralded by the town of Tombstone, Arizona in 2017 for his lifetime of work in protecting our gun rights. Let me guess. It wouldn't happen to be your dad, Larry Pratt. Is is he our second George Bailey? Absolutely. And by the way, it was July 1st, 2017 that has been declared forevermore as Larry Pratt Day in Tombstone, Arizona. How cool is that? The the epic town that hosted the most well-known gunfight in the 19th century. You, you know what's crazy? I'm, I'm originally from Sierra Vista, Arizona, hmm. and I had come back from visiting my grandmother in Sierra Vista on June 30th. I had no clue that they were doing that on July 1st. Yeah, like, pretty no, cool like, yeah, stuff. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, that's, that's pretty ironic. So he's famous there. So anyway, yeah, it, you know, obviously that was the famous gunfight at the OK Corral, and uh, that town has uh, named Larry Pratt as Larry Pratt Day oh. on one day out of the year. Think about it. Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, Larry Pratt. <laughs> it, it's pretty cool stuff. So, so how did Larry convert Charles into becoming, you know— not necessarily a cowboy, but at least someone that's going to go ahead and, you know, carry a firearm with them. Yeah. Well, here's what happened. Years ago, Larry wrote an article entitled, What Does the Bible Say About Weapons Control? And that's an article. That we still have it on our website. It's in the fact sheet section. Anyway, Charles read that article and it changed his mind completely around. He says that reading that article answered all the qualms that he had. He says he realized there was no problem whatsoever for Christians to be armed for the protection of self and others. Kudos to him for putting in the time to, you know, read that and, you know, look at it objectively, Absolutely. especially after everything else. Absolutely. I mean, and ultimately, it ended up saving a lot of lives. And Charles says that he found answers to all the questions that had been plaguing him. Not only that... He actually told me that if he had not read my dad's article, he probably would not have been carrying a weapon that fateful day at the St. James Church. Wow. You know, as a side note, it's interesting that while the St. James Church was not officially a gun-free zone, the terrorists thought it was. Charles actually heard one of the attackers say, now this was years later, but they said they thought the church was gun-free, but boy, did Charles have a surprise for us. It's oh an understatement, gosh. right? It, that, that's absolutely incredible. And as for Larry's influence, he's not only had an impact upon gun rights in the United States, he's had a positive impact in South Africa even. Yeah, Larry actually went on a speaking tour in South Africa, and that's why Charles ended up getting a hold of that GOA article entitled, What Does the Bible Have to Say About Weapons Control? And again, people can find that on our website. But Charles was so inspired by Larry and the work done by GOA that he and his friends founded Gun Owners of South Africa. So the oh, whole story cool. yeah, is, is really encouraging. But, you know, one last thing about Charles. He actually got to meet the terrorist that he shot face-to-face. It's kind of funny, actually. Several weeks after the attack— Charles calls ahead to the prison to set up a meeting with him. And when when asked who was calling, Charles said, oh, I'm the chap who shot him at the St. James Massacre. I want to come to see him to present the gospel to him. Okay, not going to lie, that that's kind of weird. So what, what ended up happening? Well, amazingly, he got a call back. Uh, the guy wanted to meet with him, and Charles met with him presented the gospel to him and gave him a Bible. I mean, oh, that's it, was, incredible. it was quite a meeting, you know, the victim reuniting face to face with his assailant. In fact, a friend of Charles described the meeting this way. First, Charles gave the terrorist a bullet. 
then he gave him a Bible. And oh, I that's think that's a movie slogan right there. <laughs> that's a movie slogan right there. Well, I think it describes that whole situation pretty well. Anyway, it is an amazing story. It would make for a good movie. And people can actually read about Charles going from being the unlikely hero who didn't carry a gun to being an armed responder in his book entitled Shooting Back. And that one people can find at the bookstore on the GOA website as well. Oh, my gosh. That's that's incredible. Think about it. You're hearing about the book Shooting Back from the podcast Firing Back. Things write themselves, folks. But, you know, Eric, that's a great story. We, we've got to wrap up this volume here, though. We're going to take a quick break, you know, for a little bit of time to make sure that we can go ahead and bring you more fantastic episodes. Thank you so much for your support. People that are pledging to our premium content and everything else, you're making this happen, especially the GOA members that give us the motivation to come back every day and day and day. And fight the hard fights when they're there. So go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and the other places you can listen to the show and help us out. And before we go, I want to give a special thank you to Wilson Combat, the expert's choice in the highest quality, highest performing handguns in the world. Go to WilsonCombat.com, that's W-I-L-S-O-N Combat.com, to order your own customized, hand-built firearm from a selection of many sizes and calibers. You've been listening to Firing Back, brought to you by GOA, the only no-compromise gun lobby in D.C. Good night.